I think a great boss, it's really like that openness, willingness to share the thinking behind your work, willingness to give great critique, and then just put a lot of trust in people to work their own way. Um, not trying to like overmanage everything or force your own processes. The best bosses I've had have really just kind of given me trust and then let me take the reins a bit. You're listening to the Yo Podcast with Rob Hope. Megan and Andrew Caldwell are a designer developer couple currently based in Los Angeles, California. Megan, originally from Florida, is a seasoned designer, having worked with the likes of Change.org, Twitter, Campaign Monitor, and other leading startups. Andrew, originally from Yorkshire, has also spent years in the game, leading the design of Adobe Portfolio and tasked to build the design systems for WeWork. Together, they published the book Laying the Foundations, a comprehensive guide to understanding and implementing design systems. We have such a fun chat discussing book publishing, working with newborn twins, design inspiration from Disney, crafting color schemes, what makes a good boss, and even squeeze in a couple's quiz right at the end. Yo, Megan. Yo, Andrew. Welcome to the Coldwell Special Edition. Hi. Hey, thanks for having us. Cool. So I'm doing my research and Disney was a recurring theme. A little birdie whispered in my ear, you two have annual passes to Disneyland. Megan, how often are you going? So we actually just moved to California from Florida. And so there's two different Disneys in the States. That's an important thing to know. And we had annual passes to the Disney in Florida. Okay. And before we moved, I would say we went at least once a week, wow. do you think, Andrew? Yeah, conservatively. <laughs> <laughs> when we moved on to Florida from New York, we kind of looked around and we were like, we don't really know what to do with ourselves down here. It's such a like huge life change from being in, in the city. And we were like, oh my God, we can be at Disney as much as we want. Like that is going to be the thing that's going to make being in Florida awesome. So we pretty much lived there. Um, and then just recently we moved to California and we were going to get passes here, but sadly because of coronavirus, Disney has been closed. So we haven't been going as much, which has been really hard for me because I am a huge Disney nerd and I love it. <laughs> okay. So, so Disney's just so iconic and I'm bleak to admit I've never been, Aww. you know, Megan hailing from Florida, local turf. What did you say the top three activities to tick off the Disney checklist are for first times? <laughs> That is such a tough question, especially for the Disney in Florida, because there's there's Animal Kingdom, there's Epcot, there's Hollywood Studios, and there's Magic Kingdom. So it's not just one park, there's four parks, and you have to do all of them. Then there's also golf courses and water parks. And <laughs> so picking three things is definitely tricky, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Magic Kingdom for my recommendations because that's like the classic Disney park that you probably like grew up wanting to go to. And I'm really into the like nostalgic Disney stuff, the original kind of creaky animatronic like <laughs> 50s era Dana Disney stuff. So I really like uh, It's a Small World. <laughs> I think it's well worth doing, especially as a designer, because it has just like this crazy 50s style that's really colorful. There's like glitter everywhere. It looks like someone's craft project gone mental. And it's just kind of beautiful in its quirkiness. So that would be one. There's another thing there that I think a lot of people skip because it's really corny, but it's called the Country Bear Jamboree. And the first time we went, I was like, Andrew, 
you have got to go see the country bear jamboree with me. It's the best thing at Disney. And it's literally just like a lot of animatronic bears playing the banjo and singing really (laughs) weird songs about like the life of a bear. But I think everyone should see it because it's hilarious and just old school. Brilliant. Probably the last thing would be this. (laughs) So everything at Disney has really long waits and it's kind of frustrating because you're standing in like thousand degree heat waiting in line for hours. So my last tip would be to do, there's a thing called the Philhar Magic, and it's like this Mickey Mouse 3D movie, and there's never a wait for it. It's always like 10 minutes and you go right in. And it's really cute and funny, and it's a good way to get out of the heat. So I think everyone should do that. <laughs> so those are my tips. Brilliant. So, so you know, this is when the listeners think we're going to segue into design systems, but they're wrong. We're here to talk more about Disney. So Andrew... <laughs> Is it true that whenever you go to Disneyland, you drink ales in the Harry Potter pub to remind you of England? Uh, that is 100% true. <laughs> That's actually at Universal, though, not Disney. Um, in case people go to Disney and they're crushed that there's no Harry Potter thing there. Okay, my man. Um, but yes, um, so not, some of the parks are dry, so you can't drink. And some of them, you can drink alcohol. So that very much steers what we're feeling on the day as to where we would go. <laughs> cool. So... Um... Back on Disney. <laughs> yes. Uh, Megan, do you get any work inspiration or motivation, you know, being at a place like Disney? I mean, like what a monster, cohesive, well-designed brand. Yes, 100%. This is like, I, th- I think Disney is one of the best examples of a well-executed brand. And like, if you want to say design system, they've got that on lockdown. Like when you get off, when you get step out of the parking lot right away, it's like, There is a color scheme for your parking lot that is executed on the vending machines in the bathrooms, like at the ticket stands. And the entire way through, the experience is just so well thought out. There's no detail that they haven't considered. It's, I mean, it sounds really dorky, but I do feel like Disney is kind of the ultimate example of just like a brilliant design system and and brand. Um, So I definitely get inspiration just from how well they've done it but also just my personal style I think is heavily influenced from growing up in Florida and going to these parks all the time like when you look at my website it's this is a true story it's kind of funny after I designed my site we were walking around Universal like the Harry Potter section and we were in a gift shop and we looked up at the ceiling and there was like all these blue and gold stars and planets and (laughs) Andrew was like this is like being in in your website (laughs) I was like, oh my God, you're right. I just designed my website based on Harry Potter and I didn't even mean to do it. That's so phenomenal. Andrew, you know, being a designer as well, and we're going to talk about design systems, you know, having published a book on systematic design, do you walk around a place like Disneyland and trying to optimize everything or do you just appreciate the behemoth? Yeah, I think I think I definitely notice trends maybe more than your average person would. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of unpack things. I think uh, Megan will appreciate this. I, I think one of my sort of weird quirks in life is that I, I always, and this, this is going to make me sound like an insanely negative person, but I, I always, I have like a gift for finding the fault. In things, which is, <laughs> I really, I, I almost hate myself saying that out loud, but it's true. I, I, I'll look at a situation. I'll be like, Oh, you know, what's dangerous about that? You know, like, Oh, that, that could kill someone or, or, you know, Oh, that's that color. And people are going to think that, but actually what it means is this. And which is, which is probably incredibly annoying to be around, but 
I think, yeah, it's it's like a very important thing in design systems and in design in general. But yeah, I think I actually, I do that in reality. I'll do that at Disney, you know, I'm like, oh, I don't know why that's like that. <laughs> I can totally vouch for that. It's so true. And even with like fonts or something, we'll be walking around and he's like, now why have they introduced a new typeface here? That's not necessary. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, let it go, babe. <laughs> so good. Okay. Let's break into a quick intermission. I like to call no context. Simply shoot back either of the two options I give you. No explanation needed at all. Megan, a Florida conch fritter or Yorkshire pudding? Ooh, conch fritter. Oh, terrible. Andrew, a festive Yorkshire pub crawl or sunset cocktails in Miami? Oh, pub crawl. Every time. Megan, Twitter or Instagram? Oh, Instagram. Andrew, sketch or Figma? Oh, I hate you for that. (laughs) (laughs) It's loaded, but sketch. Megan, sketch or Figma? Uh, Sketch. Andrew, Arctic Monkeys or Kaiser Chiefs? That's loaded as well, actually. (laughs) There's a story, but Arctic Monkeys. They're also Sheffield Wednesday fans, the same as me. Megan, Dashboard Confessional or Arcade Fire? Oh, Arcade Fire, for sure. Andrew, Endless Summer 2 or Lost What's Really Going Wrong? Uh, Endless Summer 2. And final question, Megan. Ellie or Eli? Oh, that's brutal. Oh, impossible to say. Loaded. (laughs) Okay, Megan, in February 2020, you gave birth to a beautiful pair of fraternal twins. I had to look that up. Wow. What a ride. How does one get any work done with newborn (laughs) twins? Oh, my God. I will tell you when we figure that out. (laughs) It's, yeah, it has been a crazy ride. And we... We're not, we didn't know we were going to have twins. You know, most people don't. Um, We were sort of trying to decide if we even were ready to have one kid when we found out we were having two. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, it was definitely a shock and we're still sort of navigating twin parenting life. But uh, as far as getting work done, we've kind of just had to play to our strengths. Um, Andrew is really good at working under insane pressure with crazy distractions going on like I don't know how he does it he like there can just be chaos and whirling around him and he can just sit down and get stuff done I need like uninterrupted perfect peace I need to be in comfortable clothes with the right coffee (laughs) I'm like a total diva about my work (laughs) so it's definitely been more of a challenge for me but um it's gotten a lot easier now that the kids are a bit older because I'm a little bit more comfortable being away from them. So uh, now it's kind of like we will juggle the kid, the kid duties so one of us can step away and get some stuff done. And yeah, thankfully, we just have that kind of partnership where it's been, it's been really great. Cause like I said, I can just say like, babe, I need to, I need to put on some sweatpants, get myself a really good coffee and go bury my head in this project for a couple hours. And he's happy to to pick up the slack with the kids there and make that happen. Hey, Andrew, so you basically get tagged in and then you're it. Uh, yeah, essentially. I think you, you've kind of just got to roll with the punches a little bit um, with kids. I think especially with twins, because it's not like you can hand the baby to the other one while you go and do a thing because there's two of them, you know, and you you give one of them and, and like, oh, can you change the baby? Can you stop? Can you give the baby some milk? And then the other one starts crying. So, you know, there's two of them and two of us. So you just can't you just cannot be like okay right i've got two hours to do my work now 
uh, and then do two hours because that you know that two hours might actually end up being two minutes. <laughs> so you just got to be really, really ready to go whenever you can, and just, just I don't know, just get shit done. <laughs> oh, so, so Andrew, in um, October two thousand and nineteen, you published a book called "Laying the Foundations: A Comprehensive Guide to Design Systems" that's now been sold in sixty five countries. In hindsight, what would have you told yourself before embarking on this? book publishing adventure? Wow, good question. I think, honestly, the, the actual sort of writing and editing and design process, I think went really well. I, I'm, I think both of us, I think we're genuinely really happy with the end product. I think the, the part that was by far and away the hardest was sort of the printing process and, and, and you know, the, or rather a print partner. Um, so I would say we, we honestly spent as much time researching and trialing different print partners as we did you know, writing and designing the whole thing, which was super frustrating. It was a massive waste of time and money as well. It was a very, very expensive series of mistakes and uh, and trial and error. Um, and I think, I think one problem was, I think in my mind, I thought print on demand was like the 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 only way to go. Um, so I, I think if I did it again, I would, or if I could go back, I think I'd tell myself to broaden my search more. And I think probably look into offshore printing uh, instead of sort of only looking at things online and like what we can find in our local neighborhood. I think to sort of really broaden the search. And I think that would have saved us a lot of time and money and, uh, and frustration and got the book out quicker. You know what? I read your post-mortem and that part where you said some of the books came back and the prints only started on page 31. I felt so ill. Why did you choose to go hardcover? Yeah, that, that one's easy actually. I, I've been a digital designer, you know, forever, my, my whole my whole career, and I I just it sounds kind of silly, and I guess I mean you, you'll get it. I don't think I think anyone who works in digital will get it. Maybe um, sometimes I feel like everything I design has has such a limited shelf life. You know, I, I look back at some yeah. things you did like five years ago, and, and already it doesn't work. Or I mean, I, I've I've honestly in re- actually. In the past couple of months, I uh, I designed and built a website which I think survived a total of two weeks before it was replaced with something else because the startup changed direction. It, it wasn't because of what I did; it was just the startup had to had to move in a different direction. Um, so I just I just really wanted to create something real, you know, something that wasn't going to disappear, something that wasn't going to inexplicably change all of a sudden, and. Uh, I don't know, just, just being able to sort of touch something tangible was just just sort of really, just a really nice thing to have. And and as corny as it sounds with, with kids, you know, we, we actually wrote and published a book before the kids came, which was very deliberate because mm-hmm. I, I don't think we'd have stood any chance of doing it afterwards. Um, <laughs> so I think, I don't know, like, I love the idea of my kids being able to say, hey, my mm-hmm. dad wrote a book and, you know, my mom and dad produced this together. I, I think <laughs> there's something really cool about that. That's so great. So, you know, with... That being said, with everything you've learned, would you recommend to other authors out there to aim for their first book to be digital and maybe second book tangible for a bit of momentum? Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, I mean, I I do think, and I know you you have a you have an ebook, so maybe you can identify. I do think actually, I had I had a good fair share of problems with the ebook as well in terms of <laughs> fuck me. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
uh, images. Yeah, yeah, images and, and Amazon Kindle. You know, it's like it's just wow. it's it's horrible. That's literally what I'm doing right now with the ebook. I'm doing a Kindle version. I'm in the middle. Yeah, oh, it's. Um, I mean, maybe we can exchange some notes on that. Although I, I think my notes are generally everything I tried failed. Um, <laughs> but I, I think you know, back in the day of websites, it was kind of like, oh, let's let's make a, a great website and then attempt to make it work in in IE like six, seven, eight. You know, and I feel like. The ebook world is still stuck in that world of okay, all right, it, it works great on an i on an iPad. It looks great on a Pixel. Oh, it doesn't work at all on Kindle. Wonderful. Um, so yeah, it, it comes with its teething problems, but I would say the barrier to entry is is very low. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot of software which will do this stuff for you. Um, so I think it's very easy to do that um, to maybe start with an with an ebook. And I, I will say, I think there's sort of um financial considerations as well obviously printing a, a physical book costs a lot of money you know you have to spend money to make money quite literally um where an ebook the barrier to entry is practically nothing um you can just get it out there and you know like w- when someone orders a book from me you know I, I, it's already cost me so much to print the book it cost me money money to uh i have to buy envelopes to put the books in and I, you know shipping labels cost money shipping costs um where an ebook you know, it, you get a digital download, so you, you sort of pocket more money. So there, there's a number of reasons, I think, to go with an ebook. For me, the, the, the reason to do a book as well was, as I said before, you know, I, I just I wanted something, something physical, something I could hold. Hey, friends, it's Rob from The Edit. To help keep the podcast ad-free while supporting the production, I've launched the Yo! Friends Supporters Club. Simply head to robhub.com forward slash friends to grab a pay what you want annual membership. Your friends members also get access to fun behind the scenes content and bonus questions. Okay, back to the interview. Megan, you edited the book. Does this mean you fixed it for him? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wouldn't... (laughs) I don't want to be the one to say that. If he wants to say that, that's fine. No, I'm just kidding. Um... I mean, the way the book came about was that we worked, we did a workshop together uh, that was really great for Sparkbox, um, which is an awesome agency based in Ohio here in the States. And when we did the workshop, it was the first thing we'd worked on together. And I was like, they really want someone to talk about design systems. I feel like, you know, this stuff better than anyone. He, you know, led the design systems effort at WeWork and I was like, I, I can't speak to it. I would just be talking about what you know and what you did. So I think you need to come with me and do it. And it was a, what, eight-hour workshop, I think. Yeah. And he put together like four days worth of content for his part of the workshop that we were doing together. So I was like, you have too much material here. You've got to turn it into a book. So I was so excited when when Andrew decided to actually do that. But um I think the biggest challenge with editing was actually that Andrew has so much to say and such a wealth of knowledge just from not just about design systems, but just doing product design and design in general for like 15 years. Um, So a lot of what I was doing was just like, you know, this is another book, babe. You got to, we got to like set this part aside for now and keep it focused on, on just design systems because you could write a whole other book about this. Um, so I wouldn't say I fixed it. I just prevented it from being like a 600 page tome <laughs> that we wouldn't be able to ship. 
And this is not your first time, um, you know, editing, Megan. In 2008, you helped Dan Cedarholm with Bulletproof Web Design and Handcraft CSS. Oh, my God. I don't know how you even found that out. That's so funny. Um, but, yeah, that's true. I I wouldn't say I was like, that was, that was different because uh, I was like 23 at that point. So I wasn't, I didn't really have the confidence to give Dan any meaningful feedback probably or the knowledge really. Um, I think that was more like him user testing the book on me. So I would read chapters and then say, oh, this part wasn't that like, that, you know, this part didn't make sense to me or, or I was confused about this or that. And then sometimes he would go off and make some, some tweaks, I think, based on that. But a lot of it was just him having a second pair of eyes uh, and kind of reinforcing that his books were awesome, which of course they were. If anyone's like familiar with Dan's work, he's he's a brilliant writer and definitely inspired a lot of what we did. I speak highly of Dan, you know, as a boss and I guess a mentor as well. As a designer, what makes a great boss? Oh, <laughs> that's a good question. I think a lot of it has to do with with trust, really. I think that was like the the best thing about working with Simple Bits is like Dan trusted me and my and my ability more than than I did. Um, and have more confidence in my ability to design than I even did. So he would give me really big challenges um, and kind of let me let me run with it, which was really great. And and rather than like watching over my shoulder, he just gave me really open and honest feedback while I worked and let me ask questions about everything he did. So I think it's I think a great boss. It's really like that openness, um, willingness to share the thinking behind your work, willingness to give great critique and then just put a lot of trust in people to work their own way. Um, not trying to like overmanage everything or, or force your own processes. Like the best bosses I've had have really just kind of given me trust and then let me take the reins a bit, which I will say is really hard to do. Like I've, I've been in management roles and it's not something I'm comfortable with <laughs> like giving people the reins because I have all my own ideas about how design should be done and uh, so I think it takes a really special person to kind of, you know, take your hands off the reins a bit and let someone kind of explore and develop their own style. So I've been really lucky to have people do that for me. That's a brilliant answer. So, Andrew, you know, you've been proactive after publishing the book, articles, Skillshare course, that post-mortem that I cried over. What post-launch efforts had the biggest returns? That's a good question. I think you have to go before, uh, sort of like everything we did before the launch actually helped with the post-launch. So I think being prepared would yeah. be the best thing. So and I think the single, so I think on, on, on a sort of on a smaller level, just being prepared. So actually, you know, knowing how we were going to package the book, how we were gonna, how do you print shipping labels? Like, you know, which I could go into detail on all of those things, but just knowing all of that when the orders started pouring in was uh, an absolute lifesaver we would it would have drowned if it wasn't for just being prepared but i think the single the single best thing was um so we, we actually put up um a, like a one-page website which you uh, very kindly featured on one page love so thank you pleasure <laughs> um and it was it was it was really really simple it was basically um you know this i'm writing a book right now uh it's gonna be cool uh, it's basically about this and this is a little bit about me. And if you're interested, subscribe with your email and I'll let you know, you know, when it's live, you get like exclusive access. You'd be the first person to be able to buy it. And the response to that blew us away. I think we had like over a thousand 
subscribers in the first couple of days. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing because I think, you know, for me personally, I, I thought, well, you know, I've got like 100 Twitter followers or something. <laughs> and I, I, you know, <laughs> like if, if 20 people sign up and they're not all like my mom and my aunt and my brother, then, you know, I'm doing well. So I was kind of blown away by the response. But sort of yeah, ego aside, like actually getting those subscribers uh, has paid dividends post-launch. So, you know, on launch day, it was brilliant because that we saw like a huge wave of initial, uh, you know, uh, purchases basically. Um, but then after, after launch, you know, being able to, you know, if you send a, an email to 1,000 people, probably only 200 of those people are even going to open it. And then like 10 of those people are going to buy a book, you know? Yeah. But, you know, two months down the line, one month down the line, you can send them an email saying, you know, like, so we just had Black Friday here in the States. You know, you could you could send people who've never opened an email, who haven't bought the book and say, hey, today only 50% of the book. And then, you you know, you see a spike in sales. So I think actually email marketing in general, I think has been the most powerful tool for sort of communication and, uh, and, and sales. Cheap is great takeaway. So, you know, for someone listening right now going, what the hell's the design system? The way you define it is so interesting because you're so passionate about it. You, you want to absolutely go to town on the definition, but you try and break it down. And that's where I must give you merits on the book is that you try and cut out all the fluff and almost everything you can see has been edited down. So congrats, Megan. <laughs> uh, what would you say are the three components or elements in web design that someone should start with? when they're trying to create a design system? You know, what are the lowest hanging fruit they should tackle that should probably have the biggest return? Yeah, good question. Like a design system, you know, is not like a, a silver bullet that cures all, all problems. I think, I think a, a better way to go into it is just to think about designing things systematically. So don't design, or don't solve for problems in isolation. Think about them uh, as sort of holistic ap approach to design. So you know, don't just come up with a different solution to every single problem. Think about designing solutions that will work for a number of problems. So in terms of three things you can do, um, the way I approach most websites and, and, and products, like it's not like I sit down and write this stuff down every time. It's just the way I think about it in my head. I, I break it down into foundations, components, and patterns. So as those three things, like the first foundations, um, think about, you know, the grid and layout, like using using a similar layout and, and grid structure for every page throughout the website. Don't just keep reinventing the wheel every time. Uh, use, you know, use two, don't use eight fonts or, or typefaces, use two. Uh, don't, you know, use a different font size and line height for every single title throughout the product. You know, have like three, like a, a large, medium, and small on a basic level and, and roll them out across the product. Um, don't use a different color every time you need a color. You know, create a versatile color palette of say two or five colors, and, and stick to those. And, and you know, use use them use them systematically. You know, use blue for call to actions, use black for text, use red for errors. Um, and secondly, components. You know, like the think about them as the small building blocks, like um, like uh, buttons and form inputs, uh, and even just you know your your approach to to, to links in general, like text links. You know, don't don't create a different button every time you need a call to action. I think that's one of the main offenders in, in products that I've audited. You know, you go through a product and you mm -hmm. find like twenty different styles of buttons. That's that's insane. You know, <laughs> the amount of code flow that that creates is it, just monstrous. And I see this, I see this in almost every project I work on. So you know, 
create one or two buttons, create one for one way of doing text inputs, one way of doing selects, and you know, and, and roll them out across the product. And then thirdly, like patterns, mm-hmm. think about like you know the the larger building blocks of products. So um, you know, like you don't need to create a different pattern every time you need an image gallery or an image carousel create one that you use in different scenarios you know have you probably only need one navigation you need one footer uh, one way or, or two or three ways for sort of you know that versatility of, of presenting sort of product cards if you're doing e-commerce um, and then just you know be, be consistent throughout the product and, and that, that will help in, in in every way and uh, the, the number of ways that that helps uh, I think you might have to get the book for that <laughs> <laughs> Now that was a great bit of advice. But I'll let you in on another little secret. The Yo! Podcast soundtrack is now streaming on Spotify. Just head over to robhope.com forward slash Spotify to kick off those rockin' beats. Back to you, Rob. Oh, great. So, so Megan, congrats on the new job at faculty. Um, you announced it, I think, a week ago. You're in charge of leveling up the design in 2021, and they're mainly a development-driven team, right? Yeah. So Chris, who's like the founder, is um, his background is in engineering, but he's always been really passionate about design. He was one of the co-founders of Brooklyn Beta, um, which for those of us who've been around for a little while, we'll remember, we'll remember is like one of the best uh, I want to call it a design conference, but it, it was so much more than that because they had people, you know, politicians and artists and filmmakers and all kinds of just creative people making the world a better place. Um, so that's that's like where Chris is coming from. He's he's an engineer, but with like the heart and passion of, of a designer. And uh, so faculty is kind of all about that. They've got like a project manager, Doug Wilson, who's made a documentary about typography and sort of the history of it. So he's really passionate about design um, and a front end developer I'll be working closely with uh, that is also like a really great designer and a creative developer who brings a lot of flair and artistry into all of the front end work he does. Um, and then a team of brilliant black back end designer or back end engineers rather and project managers. So I think I'm coming in as like the first kind of pure designer, but they're a team that kind of design runs through their their veins, if that makes sense. So I'm really excited uh, to join a group that's like so passionate about about the work we do and and making the web a better place. Like I know everyone says that, but I feel like Chris really believes it, which is really cool. That's super exciting. You know, having spent some time in New York working face to face at startups, would you recommend this career path versus remote working if both options are equally on the table for an upcoming designer? I think it totally depends on where you're at in your in your personal life as well as sort of your career goals. Um, my time in New York was definitely invaluable for me, and I'm so glad that I did it, especially when I did it. You know, I, I was in New York for most of my 20s working with different startups. Um my sort of sweet spot was like coming into a startup when they were just getting going with design. So I could just like mm-hmm. grab the reins and run with it. So I got to do marketing and product and, you know, t-shirts and <laughs> the whole thing. Um, and I loved that challenge. And I definitely learned so much doing that and working in those spaces, you know, you, you're just moving like a million miles an hour and, and startups have to be so nimble and things are changing all the time. And, 
it was really fun and exciting. And, and like I said, just from where I was at in my age and my life, um, that was perfect for me. And I definitely learned a lot from it. I wouldn't want to do that now. <laughs> um, and I, I'm, I'm kind of glad that that, that chapter of my life is behind me. I actually, when I sent out the, when I first was talking to Chris about working with faculty, I said, um, you know, I don't care if like your beer fridge is well stocked. That's not like <laughs> what I'm looking for from a job anymore. <laughs> Cause I feel like you see so many startups that are like all the waters. Yeah, exactly. Like we have lots of snacks and, and we all hang out together after work. And I'm like, no, I just, I'm kind of just want to like do great work. And it, I think it doesn't matter if it's remote or, you know, what, how cool your office is. Like, I just want to focus on the work now. Um, where startups have a very different culture. There's not a lot of, there's not great work-life balance in most of the ones I worked in in New York. So I'd say if you're listening to this and, and you're up for that kind of fun and challenge, it's definitely an adventure. Uh, but don't expect to be home having dinner with your family. And um, yeah, it, it takes over your life a bit. So, Hey, this is AJ from Yo! Podcast Episode 1. You're already 30 minutes into this episode, so don't forget it's important to stretch and hydrate. Back to you, Rob. Darshan asks... Being a couple who are both designers, I'm guessing you must both be headstrong. <laughs> what do you do when your opinions clash? I'm asking this because my wife and I are newlyweds and are both designers and are both headstrong. Oh my God, that's such a good one. That is a good one. I think, so a, a little bit extra context. We, um, we set up uh, what we called our studios. Um, I don't know how long, like four, four years ago. And uh, actually, we created a one-page website for that, which is also on one-page love. So thank you again. <laughs> um, you know, the whole idea was, okay, so we both are designers and developers. Why not team up and work on stuff together? That just that just makes sense. Um, and, you know, it, it, it kind of works in terms of a marketing exercise. We'd get, you know, people would say, hey, we love, we love your work. Um, here's our project. And you know, we'd get like the first five emails and it'd be like, okay, so this one has Megan written all over it. Like, you know, the second one, uh, Megan hates work and that kind of thing, but this is just an Andrew project through and through. And we realized that actually working together on this stuff isn't always going to work. But I think a really great thing, and I think, I think definitely um, gender and sort of cultural differences play into this because, I mean, I'm English, you know, Megan's American, obviously male, female. Um, you know, all those, all those different sort of background and influences and, and style choices really, really helps. So, you know, the way that I would approach problem, the way that I see something is very different to the way Megan sees it for a thousand reasons. Um, so it's really, really great to have someone you can just, you can bounce ideas off of. And, and, and it is hard, I think, being partners because, you know, you, you, you designers were, were sort of sensitive crowd and, and, you know, it's your baby and you put a lot of love into it. And then you say, Hey babe, what do you think of this? And they're like, Hmm, you know what? I just don't That's think fun. this bit's working yet. <laughs> like <laughs> you don't like the fun, um, which is, which is hard, but it's, it's also great. I, I think we've genuinely pushed each other to do, to do better work. And, and, and I think most importantly, look at it from a different perspective. Like, I know you think that when you see this, but actually I take that away from me. Like, ha, huh, that's interesting. I didn't see it that way. So, 
There's a lot of, I mean, Megan's laughing. There, there is a lot of times when it goes wrong as well. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with hundred percent with everything Andrew said. Like I am so much of a better designer for having his input and it's, it's invaluable to me. And I think I've just gotten so much better for, for having him to sort of talk through stuff with. Um, Andrew is so much better at receiving and giving feedback than I am. <laughs> I'll just be honest about that. So like every time I, I'm like, babe, I want you to give me feedback on this, but like just strap in because I'm not going to like anything you have to say. And I'm probably going to argue, argue every point and uh, have to walk away at various points for a few minutes. So um, to the person who wrote in, I would say, you know, for both of you, it, if you can just like have a laugh, because there will be moments when you're like looking at each other's work and giving each other feedback where you you'll both get frustrated uh if if basically you just want their like unconditional agreement that you're brilliant and when they don't give you that <laughs> sometimes you can get mad um but yeah just stay open to that input cuz like andrew says it's like everyone's got a different a different perspective and and a, that diversity and that view can only strengthen your work so if if you can get through the kind of awkwardness of it it's it's really worth doing communicating but like Andrew said too, I don't think it works for us to directly work on the same designs most of the time. Probably the only time we did that was our wedding website. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that actually turned out great. But most of the time, because we have such different styles, we do tend to just like one person owns the design and then, you know, we're in communication, but we're n we don't have our hands in the same files, so to speak. Yeah, I, I actually think um, sort of additionally, I think it's actually really healthy as well because, um, I think it can be quite hard. And I think I've had this with sort of previous relationships, dare I say, um, you know, where you, it's it's hard to take an interest in what the other person does. And, and I think there's something really kind of awesome about uh, actually being able to talk passionately about, you know, what, what you do with, with the person you spend, you know, all or most of your time with, um, you know, just, just being able to talk through your design and, and for them to take an active interest in it and, and really talk it through it, I think it's, it's actually probably quite a powerful thing in, in a relationship. Let's break into a second intermission I like to call true, false, or maybe. All you need to do is reply with either of those three words, true, false, or maybe, no explanation needed at all. Are you ready? Yes. You once made a Spotify playlist titled Wedding Sap to Torture, Andrew. <laughs> true. Andrew, everyone needs a design system. A design system isn't a silver bullet, no, you don't always need it. So, false. False. <laughs> yes. Okay, Megan, you're concerned the twins will possibly grow up with a Yorkshire, Florida blend of an accent. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> Andrew, fish and chips in the US is actually better than the UK. Oh, 100% false. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, when you moved out of your parents' place, an owl mysteriously moved in. True. Andrew, in hindsight, on May 4th, 2018, you should have had a Star Wars-themed wedding. <laughs> I mean, true. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, designers should not have to know JavaScript. Mm, true. And last question, Andrew. They are actually respectable waves back home in Yorkshire. Oh, full stroke, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I went, I used to go, I mean, oh, a depressing amount of years ago to, to Saltburn, which is that in Yorkshire? It's, in, it's near Middlesbrough, so it's like very northeast. And uh, the, the water, the, the wave quality is, is, is pretty terrible. Although, you know, like anywhere it can be, you know, there are moments where it's good. 
but the main thing is the, is the color of the water, man. <laughs> I mean, I think in South Africa, you you know, uh, I'm guessing you, you probably have like, you know, aside from the sharks, you've got like, you know, beautiful crystal clear waters, probably. It's beautiful, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm jealous. And we, we have that now in California and it's, it's stunning, but in, in parts of England, you know, the water is freezing cold and it's brown. So it's, I think it's, it's, it's more the temperature and the color of the water than the quality of the waves that you, <laughs> really concerns you. <laughs> so, so you've been running a surf art and photography showcase called Club of the Waves since 2006 that you title A Labor of Love. What keeps you going? Just, I don't know, everything about it. I, uh, I mean, I think that's actually the thing we, the, the two of us having have in common, Rob, um, like personal projects. Um, yeah. I, I just, I, I can't say enough positive things about them in general. Uh, I've had, you know, different personal projects, but Couple of Waves is the one constant throughout my career. And I, I'll be honest, actually, I mean, you, you, if you go on my Medium, there's, there's an article called I Nearly Quit which just really highlights how important this project is for me. Uh, that, I mean, I actually did genuinely nearly quit or, or pretty much did quit about four years into my career. And, and Club of the Waves is just one of those projects which has just been a constant for me. You know, I design it, I build it, I, I trial new things. It's a digital playground. So I, I've, I've learned, I learned HTML5, CSS3, like pretty much most of what I've learned, I've learned by experimenting on Club of the Waves over the years. And just the Amazing. satisfaction, I think... Um, of running it and because for people who don't know it, it it essentially showcases like surf art and photography so artists and photographers whose work is inspired by surfing and surf culture so and a lot of these people by nature you know artists are not digital people they they either don't have a website or they have a terrible website um so my website uh you know puts them in touch with a far greater audience and, and you know some of those people have gotten contracts with like billabong and quicksilver and roxy and uh, just knowing that I can help them do that is, I think, genuinely uh, the, the most fulfilling thing I've done in my career. Um, and it just, I don't know, it just, it just keeps my interest in design and, and everything alive. It's just, it's such a great thing to be able to, you know, to work on and, and, and it's a good distraction. And yeah, there's just, there's just no downside to it, really. <laughs> Megan, where, where do you find your inspiration, you know, online or off? Okay. Um, <laughs> that's always a tough question because you're like, where does this where does it come from? Um, but I think for me, I mean, I mentioned it earlier with Disney. Uh, I, I kind of have always been fascinated by like um, the, the fantastical, I suppose. So I think that does sort of play into my design style. Um, I like to use crazy colors and, and kind of off the wall textures. And um, actually growing up, my dad was a really big collector of antiques and where most kids, you know, on the weekends would be out playing soccer with their friends or, I don't know, going to the beach because I was in Florida. Um, I would mostly be going to like antique shows and antique fairs with my dad. And he has a really fantastic eye for detail, especially with things like typography. And we'd leaf through like old newspapers and old, for a while he collected sort of different paper goods related to like the civil war in America. <laughs> so he had like newspapers and currency and uh, draft papers for soldiers. And he had these volumes of it. And uh, I got really into that with him, like studying those and, and just the, the type and the way things were made. And um, then he kind of would switch gears and be really into furniture for a while. And I just tagged along for all of it as a kid. Cause I, you know, I'm a little, I was a little girl and I loved hanging out with my dad, but also 
I just found it so fascinating. And that has carried with me into adulthood. So I love just like finding quirky, old, weird stuff. Andrew makes fun of me because we'll be like walking along and I'll see <laughs> an, like someone's old photograph of their family like that they're throwing out and I'm like oh do you think that's free I want to keep it and he's like why would you want someone's like tossed aside old junk but um it actually does really inspire me and it, it lends a lot to my design style I think like I collect old tins for cigarettes <laughs> um back in the like early 1900s they would actually come in these beautifully designed tins and they had really bright colors and cool kind of like slab serif type faces and things. And all of that plays a lot into my inspiration, I would say. Uh, I think it's really important for designers to get inspired from something other than Dribbble. Like I still go and look at Dribbble and Behance and awards and one page love to get ideas for, for web design inspiration, a hundred percent. But I think it's important to have something else outside of that to give you your own kind of flair. So you're not just repeating what everyone else is doing in the design industry, if that makes sense. Hey, this is Matt D. Smith. Make sure you hit subscribe as I'm coming up in the next Yo! Podcast. Brilliant. You know, I'm just thinking how this all translates into your into your site. You know, you've got so many little nuances that probably went into your altastic.com. And, you know, I was doing my research and through your portfolio, it took me to verse.press. And I think to myself, holy shit, now that's a color palette. <laughs> okay. Well, that's cool can, to hear. Can you share your method to come up with a color palette you know is it a dangerous journey through the dark parts of your mind or something that comes natural to you <laughs> I think my two biggest strengths in design if I can just brag about myself for a second are color and type <laughs> uh I I feel like I've got those down better than like Andrew is Andrew is awesome at UX and can spot like like he was saying before like problems in a workflow or places where a user is going to get tied up. And, and those are not my strengths, I would say. But color, I feel like people, people have asked me that before, like, how did you come up with that color palette? And I've seen there's like color palette tools and things. And I don't know, I've never, I've never had that. I'll kind of just talk to a client about a brand and, and get a feel for like, it's almost like it just pops into my head, like what kind of a color scheme feels like a poetry website or, um, mm. Like a, a while back, I did a series with Adobe that was celebrating different female activists where it was like a landing page for each person. And I would just read about their life and be like, what colors feel like this person? And I know that sounds really woo woo, but it's kind of like the best answer I have is like, I think I have a strong feel for color, but I probably got that from spending so much time looking at and, and thinking deeply about color palettes I see in life. And I'm obsessed. I'm really a, a truly horrible photographer, but I'm obsessed with taking photos of things that have like beautiful colors. So maybe it's just all that sort of collecting of colors that, that lends itself to. I mean, you're the one who's created this color scheme. So this is not woo woo at all. This is exactly what it's about. Well, I'm glad <laughs> um, you like it. So, <laughs> so when I compare the Altastic sites, Club of the Waves, Lane Fa the Foundation site, they all feature textured backgrounds. Megan, are textures making a comeback? 
<laughs> I certainly hope so. Andrew, that's like one of the only things we have in common probably in our design sense yeah. is we both really love a good texture. Yeah, I, I, I used to be kind of borderline insane with it. Um, I mean, I, I think I use the word grunge a lot. I don't know if that actually makes sense at all, but yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, when I first started my career, I did a lot of sort of band websites because it was just a great way of, you know, you know, you don't need a client. You're just like, hey, you need a website. I need to practice. So let's let me do a website for you. And, you know, like rock bands with like grungy backgrounds and like painted elements yeah, yeah, and stuff. And yeah, and I just, I just always love that. And that plays in well to sort of the action sports stuff I do with surfing. So maybe I'd sort of try and find clients that that works with. And, but I, I kind of, I love blending textures and, and painted elements and handcrafted elements with sort of simplicity and minimalistic. And, and it just sounds like those two things should, just shouldn't go together. But I think I, I, something kind of nice about offsetting those two sort of. Okay, let's end things off with an experimental intermission. I want to call Know Your Partner. Oh no. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> It can probably also be called Who is on the Dishes. <laughs> okay, have you both got a blank piece of paper? We do. Oh. I want you to create five rows, and that's going to match the five upcoming questions. So draw four horizontal lines. Now draw a line right down the middle, forming two columns. Done. The left column is for your personal answers. And the right column is for your partner's prediction. Got it. Okay. Question one. What is your favorite color? Left is where you put your answer. And on the right, you guess your partner's answer. Okay. Gotcha. Row number two. Question two. What is your favorite animal? And it can be a bird. Okay. <laughs> 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 Question number three. What is your choice meal for dinner? <laughs> These are a relief. I don't think any one of these will release, but will uh, result in divorce so far. So far, so good. Uh, hold on. I'm guessing I can't write two answers. <laughs> nope. Okay, I've got one. Question four. What is your favorite typeface? <gasps> oh, my God. Ooh. Well, I know I have one for Andrew, but... You do? I don't know if I could pick mine. That's going to be difficult for Andrew to guess. <laughs> All right, this might be the one that brings us up. <laughs> this is going to be the one we'll be like, Rob, you ruined our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> On the buzzer. You got through a whole podcast. I love it how Megan's like, oh my God, I know Andrews. And I'm like, what is mine? I don't know what <laughs> Do I have one? I guess I do. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I really don't want to write what I think I'm going to write for me, but. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Oh, hell, I'm going to do it. Everyone's going to hate me for it. Um. I just, Rob, I can't pick my favorite typeface is the problem. Then go your, your go-to. It's just like so hard. Okay, well, I've answered. Yep, that answer. Last question. Assuming you watch Netflix, mm -hmm. yeah. what Netflix series could you re-watch on repeat? Oh, that's a good one. Now I'm like, because we watch like Disney Plus, Hulu and Netflix. I'm like, <laughs> which one's on which channel? <laughs> yeah, that was my first thought too. Okay. All right. Okay, class, pencils down. Oh. Okay. Starting with Megan, read down your left column, color, animal, dinner, typeface series. Okay. Um, favorite color would be pink. Favorite animal, owl. 
favorite food, Thai. Uh, for fun, I put Georgia, but I have a lot of things to say about that. Mm. Um, and for TV series, I put Unsolved Mysteries. <gasps> yes. <laughs> okay. Andrew, hit us up your right column. Okay. Pink. Yep. Dog. Pizza. <laughs> um, Abril fat face because we use that on our studios, oh, but I guess in general it's always like a chunky serif. That's so. oh, he does know me. <laughs> and uh, unsolved mysteries. Brilliant. Wow. Amazing. Ah. Okay, dude. Uh, two out of five, right? Uh, yes. No Al here. Surprising. I do love dogs. Yeah, she does love dogs for the record. <laughs> okay, Andrew, let's have your left column. Color, animal, dinner, typeface series. All right. Yellow, cat, roast dinner, Helvetica, mm. archer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, let's have him. All right. Yellow, cat, mm. Pizza. Pizza? <laughs> Look at both of you. I'm not American. I'm English. <laughs> can see what you guys are having tonight. For some reason, I heard the question is, what's your favorite thing to get delivered? I didn't... Uh, I, if I was thinking yeah, about... roast dinner on delivery would be terrible. <laughs> yeah. I could, I should have known. Uh, roast dinner would obviously be the answer. For font face, I put Sophia. I actually think that's the better answer. Yeah. You love Sophia. Yeah, that's Sophia what... Pro. I do. Yeah, that's Sophia what he uses Pro. on uh, Club of the Waves. Rob, it's, it's honestly hard for me not to use Sophia Pro for every single website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm using a one-page love. It's oh, so good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a great font. <laughs> I should have written that. And... I put Archer. Yeah, yeah Archer. so. Yeah, Laura, I just wow. I laugh my ass off at Archer. <laughs> we just started rewatching Archer, so that was almost too easy. Okay, so we have three. Yeah, so I won. Andrew is on dishes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Rob. <laughs> well, let's end things off. Where can the Yo listeners follow your work online, Andrew? Uh, room5.net for my web design portfolio and. Um, I actually just launched andrewcoldwell.com, if you can spell it, uh, which is just purely focused on my product design. And uh, go go hit up clubofthewaves.com as well. Brilliant. Megan? Uh, owltastic.com is where I kind of have links off to all my things. Right now, my stuff's a bit spread out. I'm kind of working on consolidating my portfolio, but Dribble is where I post most of my work. Twitter is where I talk about stuff, sometimes related to design and a lot related to like mishaps in my life and twin parenting um and then i have like six different instagram accounts but <laughs> uh your instagram game is strong i have like a really funny relationship with instagram i'm really obsessed and every two weeks i'm like babe i'm gonna create another account that's just about food now i'm gonna create an account about my running that i'm gonna get into and yeah it, it's crazy she but... has the same thing with google accounts i think she has about 20 of them <laughs> yeah i got lots <laughs> and i'm glad to hear that it's not just me <laughs> Okay, wow. Big love for coming on the show, you two. That was super fun. Yeah, that was so fun. Thanks, Rob.
Wow, what a hoot. If you're still listening this far, you are referred to as my people. Please email mypeople at robhub.com. I want to send you something small. Ciao. So now all I need is that um, soundbite, please. Oh, great. And I'm going to paste it in the Zencaster. Do you have the screen in front of you? Yep. Let's break up the last sentence um, where Megan will say, make sure you hit subscribe. And then Andrew can say, as we're coming up. Okay, cool. Hey, this is Megan Fisher Coldwell. And I'm Andrew Coldwell. Make sure you hit subscribe. As we're coming up next, yo. Podcast. <laughs> no, actually, sorry, do you want to do that again? <laughs> how, how, yeah, what's the inflection on that? Is it yo- as we're coming up in the next <laughs> Yo podcast? <laughs> I think I'm trying to be too American with that. <laughs> hey, I Yo! It's like kind of perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Should we do one more?